Picture yourself in a dewy meadow on March 21st, 2022, at 10.13 a.m. On the dot. Posted in the tag substructure as Everyday Life. Post title. This, that, and to other things by George R.R. Martin. It's my favorite book of his. Too much to do. Too much to do. Things are hopping, and as my frogs told you down below, I could be writing long posts here about a dozen things. But I am sure most of you, which sooner I were writing fiction, producing films and television shows, editing anthologies, you know... But let me say a few quick words about matters various and sundry. We have a new book coming out. Pause for dramatic effect. From 10th Speed in October. The Rise of the Dragon, an illustrated history of the Targaryen dynasty from Aegon the Conqueror to the regency of the boy king Aegon III. I could show you the covers, British and American, but my mighty minions have already done in the post below. Just scroll down and enjoy. You'll have to go to Not a Blog for that. The official announcement lays out the basic facts about the book as well, so I won't repeat that here. I just want to clear up possible areas of confusion. In my blog post of March 9th, I made a mention of a lavish copy, a lavish coffee table book coming later this year, an illustrated <laughs> you condensed mean version of Fire and Blood <laughs> done with Elio and Linda. Thick, <laughs> thick and heavy. He was talking. He says, yes, I was speaking of The Rise of the Dragon, the same book. There's been some mention of Rise being an quote-unquote encyclopedia, but I do not think that is accurate. Not unless the definition of encyclopedia has broadened considerably. It's a history covering the same years and events as Fire and Blood, but not written in World by Archmaker. You know, that guy. <laughs> 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 by Harsh Mace or Gildane and much condensed from Gildane's original text my friends Elio and Linda of World of Ice and Fire fame handled the abridgment we needed a shorter book to make room for all the art that's the big thing about the rise of the dragon it's not an encyclopedia it's an art book and a gorgeous one I think rise will include 180 brand new illustrations from some of the finest fantasy artists in the world some of them will be full page. Many will be in gorgeous living and dying colors. Dragons, knights, battles, lords and ladies, castles, all the good stuff. <laughs> I was about to say all the good stuff. Yep, you read his mind. So if you're a fan of fantasy art, you may want to pre-order your copy now. Rise of the Dragon. It's got blurbs in it. But mostly picks. Mostly picks, but with blurbs. So it's not going to be, we're not getting an encyclopedia, like an actual companion thing. Like, this is like a, this is going to be the most official money grab. Oh, for sure. Out of all the extras, like, you know, all the extras that pop up, this will be the official one. And George got his other baddies to work on this one, too, <laughs> like he did the World of Ice and Fire. But a lot of people are not happy about that either. But they're bad. World of Ice and Fire? No, about Elio and Linda working on this one. Oh, I mean, how much it was work, quote unquote, work was actually done on it. It's like you take a couple excerpts. It sounds like it's just like a couple excerpts. And I think then, in name, people just don't like that. In name, yeah, I they're get like, it. maybe I just get have it. some. Hannah and Zach do it. <laughs> Hannah oh, and Zach or yeah. <laughs> have some third party company put it out instead of this being like a, an insanely official money grab that we can't be mad about. I'm not mad about it. I'm glad there's more stuff. What about you? I'm not mad about it at all. Cause in my mind, 
There's so many people who are interested in A Song of Ice and Fire who I wouldn't necessarily recommend Fire and Blood to. I'm having a really good time doing it on the podcast. More fun than I thought I was. And I think some people listening would say the same. But there's people like, you know, like randos at work who are like, should I read a song, or not A Song of Ice and Fire, should I read Fire and Blood? And for the casual fan, I feel like the brief synopsis plus so many beautiful illustrations I think would be a much more interesting and compelling kind of history than diving in like we are. That's a good point. I think it depends on the kind of, like what you're trying to get out of it. But I, I would love to have this on my coffee table. If I had a coffee table, maybe someday I will. But I like the idea, honestly, even if it is a money grab. Like the most official one. We have a new book coming out this year. Right. I like it's it though. Picks. Bring on <laughs> it's more a bunch picks. Of picks. <laughs> uh, you know. <laughs> right. I'm here right. for it. Trudging on. We said we'd read this and we are. There will be a second book coming out this year to tie in with the debut of House of the Dragon. But it won't be a new book. Just an old one with a new cover. Ah. That's Once again. Fire and Blood, of course. <laughs> the original unabridged version by Archmaester Gildane with new cover art from the HBO series. Okay. When I have seen the new cover, I will be sure to post it here. Probably oh. sucks. Oh, <laughs> as long as I'm sending, it's got a uh, Matt Smith on the front. Yeah, it's just Matt Smith. <laughs> He's gonna, it's not even him in his like Targaryen garb. It's his, his <laughs> it's headshot. As the doctor. Yeah. <laughs> as long as I'm setting stuff straight, there's a weird story all over the internet about how I hid my initials in Elden Ring. Hannah's favorite about game. Elden Ring, finally. Because ah, some of the characters have names beginning with an R or G or M. To which I say, eh, what? Really? This was news to me. I've been writing and publishing stories since 1971, and I suspect that I've been giving characters names beginning with an R, N, G, and M since the start, along with the other 23 letters of the alphabet as well. Coming up with names is hard, especially names that have something in common. But really, why would I have to hide my name inside the game? My name is right there on the game <laughs> as one of the creators. <laughs> hey, Elden Ring is exciting enough. No need to make stuff, make up stuff. Let me see what else. Oh, should I mention that Sky Railway has reopened for its spring season? Santa Fe to Larry, to, to Lamy, sorry. It's not Larry. I definitely need corrective lenses. Please, uh, 1-800-CONTACTS.COM, reach out to us again. With all sorts <laughs> of fun new adventures, check out the website, skyrailway.com, and book your adventures now if you're coming to Santa Fe. We are selling out. Well, he said it, not us. Many of you reading this are fantasy fans, I know. Waiting for Winds of Winter, I know, I know. Patch face. But looking forward to the new TV show as well. Rings of Power on September 9th and House of the Dragon on. Well, you will know soon. We know now. So there is where he's basically saying they're going to be airing concurrently. Right. It's only March, True. though. Yes. What you should watch in the meanwhile, well, I recommend The Last Kingdom based on Bernard Corwell's Saxon Tells of Uthrid, son of Uthrid. The new season just went up and Paris and I gulped it down in two days. So not a lot of writing done in those two days. No, it is not <laughs> fantasy. There's a noticeable lack of dragons and magic, but there are lots of battles and betrayals and swordplay, all that stuff. And Uther is a warrior who could give the best of Westeros and Middle Earth a fight. A good show. We will miss it, but we have a few feature films to look forward to. Look forward to too, at least. And Cornwall has a new sharp book out too. No period. There's more, but I might have other stuff to do. 
So I will sign off for now. The horns are blowing. The frogs are hopping. Current mood. Busy. Busy. Oof. The so release we, date. Let's talk about it. We got <laughs> it. Game of Thrones prequel series, House of the Dragon, to debut on. Y'all already know, but let's just say it on here. August 21st, baby. <laughs> right? Yes. And Rings of Power comes out on September 2nd. Cool. <laughs> so, uh, Battle of the Big Ones. We finally, finally, finally. I feel like we've been waiting for so long for a release date, and we finally have it, and I'm amped on it, to be honest with you. Fitting. After all this time. I'm excited. I, I mean, like, the release date doesn't necessarily give us new information or anything, but it gives us a goal to work towards, and it gives us an idea of when we're going to get more trailers, potentially. And... Got some picks. We got some picks, and like you said, now we have the countdown to how far we're going to get in Fire and Blood before, <laughs> before the, the show comes out. Remember that picture of uh, Viserys Targaryen? The one, uh, I'll, I'll text it to you right now. Remember this picture? Oh, I think I sent it twice. Good. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you <laughs> sent it twice. <laughs> yeah, I know this pick. So what do you think? <laughs> I know this pick. Let's make this a cover art for today's uh, <laughs> today's episode. I mean, I'm excited about... Are you about... worried or are you excited? I am excited. I'm way more excited now than I was when the first trailer dropped, you know, and this pick gets me amped. You got me feeling some kind of way. Release dates here. We're trudging along. We're like 30% done with Fire and Blood. We're loving it. And Winds of Winter is nowhere to be seen. But... It's coming out this year. (sighs) (laughs) (laughs) We have this conversation once a year I when I like had this moment today where I was thinking about the fact that Fire and Blood's gonna come and go and we're gonna finish and we have plans for contingency on contingency on contingency plans for how we could fill our time on the podcast but I feel a little scared that like winds of winter feels so far off but we were having a conversation was this happening I think you and me were having this conversation I can't remember who else we were talking to oh we were at your house talking about the distance between the end of the last season and Winds of, and the release of Winds of Winter. Yeah. And how it makes a lot of sense, I think, to put distance in everyone's mind just because I think that the TV show didn't necessarily end in the way people wanted it to. And so now we can maybe get some of that bad taste out of our mouth. I had a good time, but you know what I mean? Like some of that bad taste out of our mouth. We got a new TV show coming. That can cleanse our palate. And then Winds of Winter can come out and get us excited again. And so that this long gap makes more and more sense the more time passes, for me at least. Can you imagine if J.K. Rowling would have been able to do that, to bring her, her series out of the aughts and into the internet age, but not just in a way where it was getting... I mean, Deathly House Part Two is 2012, right? 
Yes. And we waited like three or four years for a new film franchise to pop out. And that felt like a million years. But now it's been more than three or four years since the first film of that film franchise dropped. So if anything, someone that's been writing and been involved in fan communities and understands how they work as much as George R. R. Martin does, he's someone that I started to get suspicious of around 2015, 2017 era that was aware of the different eras that we're going through and thought that it might be fun to continue a sort of unprecedented amount of excitement about the property that he's working on within a couple different areas rather than feeling the compulsion to take advantage and cash in on what what momentum he has, like to do it in a way that was completely self-satisfying versus in a way that people expected him to do based on pressure or fear. I think that's a really smart and positive way to look at it. I keep trying to tell myself shit like that, but I don't know if it's true. I like to think that it's true. (laughs) I mean, I think that George R. R. Martin is not an idiot, you know? I don't think he's just, like, twiddling his thumbs not working. He just is... has other, like, lots of other projects and priorities and wants Winds of Winter to be the best that it can be. And so I feel like us getting House of the Dragon... It's going to be an interesting transition between the two. And so I think that it's a smart play. It feels it feels like to me, like I said, like there's some kind of a vision involved. This is one that I really didn't, I mean, I didn't come up with it because I'm not thinking about it because I'm not the person that wrote this. But also, I don't think that I could have because he has decades of intellect and learning and experience and the specific brain that he has that's so talented to come up with a neat idea like this. And the further I get into Fire and Blood, honestly, especially with the chapter that we're talking about today where um, Benifer goes straight into a POV for a nice long paragraph, I was just thinking, this odd companion to A Song of Ice and Fire might have come at the right time. And I've said this before, maybe not at the right time with everything being out. Like, oh, between books five and six, it's the perfect time for a companion series that actually, like, gives more details on the past that's going to give more dramatic weight to the things that happens in the last two books. Because if they're always available in the future, which they will be, it's it's always going to be there to give you context before the first book. But concurrently, in the lives that we're all breathing through right now, that the stuff that's happened at the end of dance feeling like another pivotal chunk of time with like the red wedding era being probably like the the first biggest one you could probably argue honestly with the uh, Joffrey beheading Ned really being the first biggest one just a, sure. another really big pivotal time in a song of ice and fire for for the patients to be pushed way past the breaking point and then for them to transition into this this whole other like expression of what a song of, of ice and fire is before finishing the series, like I said, sort of checks out with what I was thinking about back in like 2015 to 2017. Uh, but I didn't know what they would do if they were going to do that. Like maybe simply just wait, maybe have prequel series to some degree that like made sense to people. But if that was anywhere near what the plan did look like to me, having an, a series like this that does go back and people often talk about prequels being something that they're interested in in the first place. I know that we went through that when we were kids. That's all we could. That's all. That's basically the number one thing people talked about, right? Was a, a Marauders prequel. Oh yeah, totally. Like no one really cared about new stuff, but they basically wanted like a House of the Dragon on 
Moody, Wormtail, Padfoot, and Prongs walking around the school. Right. And like what they dealt with in their adult life leading up to Tom Riddle taking over. Right. Which isn't the same thing that we're getting with the House of the Dragon, but it is a similar sort of flex. And it's being done on a scale like nothing's been done before because it's getting the full HBO treatment. And it got, like I said, Fire and Blood, which is becoming, as we go through it chapter by chapter on the podcast, with the, the finest tooth comb that you and I can come up with, um, sort of, to me, like revealing itself as being really self-aware and what it's doing, not just for people in the future, but also with us right now, which yeah. is like a, two levels of 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 uh, wiseness that I think is pretty cool. Three, if you add the picture book. Oh, yeah, that's the true. Art book. Yeah, it's like yeah. we didn't catch everyone with that one. Right. So we can make extra money <laughs> and catch, like you said, like casual folks that can like sort of get the gist of it by thumbing through the information right. four or five times rather than having to sit down for a nearly thousand page book. Right. Well, they haven't read the other ones in the first place. Well, yeah, right. Well, I think that to if everyone is a secret Targaryen and the end of A Song of Ice and Fire is so heavily focused on John and Daenerys and their rise and Daenerys's rise and their potential relationship and XYZ. I feel like us having the context of fire and blood to help round out the kind of the history and the um, pomp and circumstance behind all of this is. I just was thinking about that as you're mentioning, like just the, perfect timing right. of all of this mm-hmm. and i think especially for a song of ice and fire in a book series that is so in my mind heavily favored towards a like the stark family you know completely different than there's a lot of them the targaryen family at least in my mind that's my, my own personal bias but having the opportunity to really sink our teeth into targaryen history both on the tv show and in the book series before we dive into the last two books to see on page this uh like foretold queen to rise to power and take back what is rightfully hers it's Mm -hmm. making more and more and more sense so instead of just being this like extra blip along the way of like why are you wasting our time um it's all coming together i'm just basically reiterating what you were saying but it's coming together in my brain in a way that it didn't fit like a year ago, I would say. But meanwhile, it's getting a complete series treatment on, you know, I guess the, the prestige TV network. And I just hope if that it's we're good. We're going to go back in the past. I just hope that yeah. it's good. Yeah, me too. I was talking with Emmett and Chloe, two of our friends that make a Song of Ice and Fire podcast who have come on here um, this past weekend. And they said something about I don't want to get like in too much of the details because it's like direct spoilers for the story and we're not there yet. But basically to, to break it down, we were talking about the concurrent expression of, for example, the scheming that the Starks are going to be involved with at that particular timeline of Fire and Blood in the Targaryen history. And it's something that I've not really allowed myself to think about because I've mostly just thought about the promo footage that we've seen I've thought about big moments that these characters themselves had that are more like, um, they remind me more of like Jaehaerys and Allie landing at the dragon pit for the first time with their dragons or rather at the Red Keep. And um, I felt like we were going to kind of rely on that 
to be sexy enough to sell a new TV show. But I, I, I really do think, and again, this might just be wishful thinking. I don't know. I'm on episode two of the new Halo series on Paramount Plus, and the first episode didn't do it for me. But listen, <laughs> episode two was good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, episode two was good, so my hope is restored somehow. If the fate television period and all and all yes, in our in just the world in the universe, if all if all of these things are aligning like this, let this be. Please let this be a little like hint in the direction of hope not being something that needs to be completely thrown away. And if I'm right, I think that these concurrent storylines and and characters that don't get a lot of playtime, even in Fire and Blood, people that we really like, families that we really like. I think that what we might find is that House of the Dragon is more of a vehicle for the breadth of Westeros and maybe even potentially Planetos to be explored in this series in a way that GOT typically pulled out around like, think of the the vibe of like episode seven through 10 when they've got these really serious, um, nice and long, like five or six minute sequences at a place that you don't normally go to with characters that you kind of miss or don't really know. And you're like, oh shit. Yeah. Yes. The universe is filling out even more and more. Now imagine they're doing that with ancient Starks. Right. Think about it. Like House of the Dragon might pull people back in that were the kind of casual fans that couldn't really like think about because they hadn't read the books yet. When I say casual, that's what I mean. Not that they can't like comprehend the the scope of this fantasy novel. That's I don't see it like that. I just see just people that don't have they don't care about cutting away to White Harbor the same way that a lot of us do. Or even people do more than us. But they might get reminded of at least the vibe enough from the way that they felt the vibe before in the series before. And even new people might still get that same magic worked on them. That I think that, if anything, like I said, it might be a big misdirection. The, the dragon egg art. What, what was that tweet? I Someone uh, tweeted, uh, I think their username is like Corliss. It's some C Targaryen name that tweets at us a lot. And they were like, I'm getting hyped over a picture of, of an egg, so a true. poster of an egg. So true. I, I think that that boldness, now, that same hope was squashed a little bit on the last season for sure, y'all. So um, I think you probably know by now not to listen to anything that I say. But I'm just saying to you, Hannah, at least, that I think that we might be surprised to think that they might be ready to hook us with at least vibes that we like and at least a point of view and a sort of subtlety with flexing the story around that they didn't really do in the final seasons. I think that we're sort of set up for it to happen again because I, the, all the material's there mm -hmm. unlike those last two seasons. So let's just swoop to some of those places and show some of those things that seem a little bit less staged and Hollywoody and a little bit less like preaching at you like certain ideals and more like just showing you some cool stuff. I agree with you. And I think that a lot of what Fire and Blood is is just showing us cool stuff. Like you mentioned, there's a couple POV moments in this chapter, but for the most part, it's just some really cool highlights. And so I think that there's, I hope that they take that room for creativity in a direction that they didn't take the quote unquote room for creativity that they were given at the end of A Song of Ice and Fire. Um, I hope that that works in our favor. And I think it will. I have that same optimism that you do. I think it will. Because I think that there's less to lose. And so I felt pretty depressed the other day. We like we had a pretty uh, long combo about the end of A Song of Ice and Fire. And it kind of made me feel a little depressed and sad. But getting the release date. Why'd you feel sad? 
Because it's just not as good as it should be or as it could be or as we want it to be. You're talking about GOT, right? Yeah, I'm talking about GOT. But what I'm trying to say is that I think that we're being set up for success with Fire and Blood. I genuinely feel that. And, and I'm not just like trying to be hype about it for the and sake. you're talking about Hot D, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're call I love I love it. You're calling them their like book ad- adaptations. If anything, that makes you way more OG. <laughs> Whatever. Either way, you all like, know what I'm talking about. It's not House of the Dragon. It's called Fire. You all know what I'm talking about. All I'm trying to say is I'm excited. So I also the more we read about, and I feel like a broken record, but the more we read into Fire and Blood, the more fun I'm having. We're not even up to what House of the Dragon is actually about yet. Right. We're getting close and we're creeping in. But right, the Dance of Dragons is the best part of Fire and Blood. And we're not even anywhere. So yeah, and this chapter is pretty high level. I mean, not a lot necessarily happens in this chapter, but I just was reading this chapter and I'm looking over my notes and I'm like, when Jairus returns to King's Landing, he's like, "My lords, we have work to do." I'm like, yes. "Yeah, we do, brother. Yeah, like, we, we do. have work to do." Yeah, and so I'm getting really hype reading Fire and Blood, and so. I just, I'm very hopeful for House of the Dragon. I'm also going crazy over a picture of a dragon egg. And Me too. I'm just on, I'm just ready for something. Maybe I'm just desperado, but I'm just, I'm ready for something. I'm ready for the coffee table book. I'm ready for another trailer. I'm ready for whatever House of the Dragon has to offer. I'm ready for Matt Damon's weird, um, whatever Doctor Who Matt energy Damon. is. Matt Smith? Oh, Matt Smith. <laughs> Get me out of here. I quit. No names at Ice and Fire Con. Please, please press this button to skip ad. Uh, if you'd like to go to Ice and Fire Con, please come. Please. <laughs> My unedited, ver- the unedited version of me at Ice and Fire Con. <laughs> uh, okay. Ice and Fire Con, April 21st to 24th. Just around the corner. We're throwing a party. We're not going to give away too many details. But if you're thinking about what to pack for Ice and Fire Con, pack your winter best, I would say. $10 furs. Your $10 furs. Your whitest, bluest, sparkliest, coldest winter outfits. So... I'm so excited for Ice and Fire Con. It's been too long in the making, and we're going to have a really good time. The theme of this year is Con, a dream of spring. And for all of those of you who are listening to us who are not 18 and up, this is an event for those aged 18 and up. So, Oh, really? Your, uh, yes, it is. Adults only. Adults only, baby. You know what that means. <laughs> yeah. Bring a pair in their garden. You can stand right there with the rest of them. This year's guest of honor and the first, I think this is the first guest of honor is David J. Peterson. How come David gets to be the guest of honor? Yeah, it's messed up. <laughs> I think you should be the guest of honor, Hannah, at this point. Honestly. miss so many. That's so true. That's so true. It's like, wow, Hannah's finally going to show up. It's hard to say. It's, it, it's hard to say until I actually have feet on the ground, but... When that plane lands in Columbus, you're gonna be like, ah. Not I even gotta. then. I gotta be at the. I gotta be at the venue. I gotta be at the venue. Uh, we've also gotten some tweets from some of y'all who are coming. So uh, cool. I cannot so tell wait us more to hang if you're out coming. With it's gonna be good. I'm looking forward to it. I don't know if there's really anything else we need to say about the con other than like 
we we've talked about conventions for years on the show, and uh, right now this is the Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire convention that you should go to, and it's going to be the first one back after a pandemic, and that's probably the first and last time it's going to happen in your lives, God's willing. So I don't know the energy will probably a lot of it, a, the energy will probably be a lot more explosive than ever before. If that's what you're into. And if you're not into explosive energy, there's there's forests to go practice woodcutting in. And like I said on our last episode, there's a swimming pool, there's a hot tub. I mean, take a break at Ice and FireCon if you need to. In Ohio. We can't Ohio. wait. We're going to come in on a dragon. <laughs> <laughs> our busted-ass cars. <laughs> yeah, you're going to put wings yeah. on your car. I should. It might help. You should name your car Vermithor, actually. It kind of fits. I've already named my car Shanker. I know, but if it wasn't named that, I would say Vermithor would also be pretty You're, good name Listen, for you it. have the only uncar- unnamed car between nah. the two of us. Vermithor doesn't fit my car. My car's too cute. Well. It has a crack windshield and, like, so much bird poop on it right now. So. Does it really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my car looks messed up right now. Y'all ever seen the TikToks of people uh, making a big plan to feed pigeons? They, like, brought certain food for them. They're like, this is going to be so awesome. And then they excite the birds so much that they get covered in bird shit. Yikes. That's the opposite of what happened in this chapter today. Here's what happened. Here's what happened. Jaehaerys and Alisson, as we all know, they've been hanging out for two years now in Dragonstone. At the end of the last chapter, Ja hit the age of 16 and became a man grown. The Regency ended. Rogar already sent back to Storm's End. Our guy, the man, the myth, my love, my baby. <laughs> my man. Jaehaerys Targaryen finally took Vermithor. To King's Landing. Ahead. No, no, sorry. He sent his folks. I thought that was funny. He sent his folks ahead of him. His members of the King's Guard and some of his men. And then later on when Alison comes, spoiler alert, later to, to King's Landing, she, the the second, she left within the hour of receiving word that he was ready for her six they months later. That. And she came and uh, beat everyone there. Can we read these first couple chapters? I mean, not chapters, paragraphs, because... I think I would love if you read the first couple chapters. Right. Can you please dictate them to me This on is the my podcast? ASMR podcast. I want to read the first couple paragraphs. You already kind of summarized paragraph one, but the next three or four are some of my favorite that we've had so far. The day was not an auspicious one, Grandmaster Benefer tells us. The skies were gray and a persistent drizzle had fallen half the morning. Benefer and the rest of the council awaited the king's coming in the inner yard of the Red Keep, cloaked and hooded against the rain. Elsewhere about the castle, knights and squires and stable boys and washerwomen and scores of other functionaries went about their daily chores, pausing from time to time to glance up at the sky. And when at last the sound of wings was heard and a guardsman on the eastern walls caught sight of Vermithor's bronze scales in the distance, there came a cheer that grew and grew and grew, rolling past the Red Keep's walls, down Aegon's high hill, across the city, and went out into the countryside. Jaehaerys did not land at once. Thrice he swept over the city, each time lower than before, giving every man and boy and barefoot wench in King's Landing a chance to wave and shout and marvel. Only dead, only then did he bring Vermithor down in the yard before Magor's Holdfast, where the lords were waiting. He had changed since I last saw him, Benefer rec- records. The stripling who had flown to Dragonstone was gone. 
and in his place was a man grown. He was taller than before by several inches, and his chest and arms had filled out. Tell me more. His hair was flowing loose about his shoulders, and a fine golden down covered his cheeks and chin, where before there had been he had been clean-shaven. Eschewing all nightly raiment, he wore salt-stained leathers, garb fit for hunting and riding, with only a studded jack to protect him. But on his sword belt, he bore Blackfire, his grandsire's sword, the sword of kings. Even sheathed the blade could be mistaken for no other. Please go. This is this is too good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to keep going? <laughs> yes, keep going. This is too good. A shiver of fear went through me when I saw that sword. Is there a warning there, I wondered? As the dragon settled onto the ground, smoke rising from between his teeth. No I'd fled way. to Pentos when Magor died, frightened of what fate awaited me under his successors. And for an instant, as I stood there in the damp, I wondered whether I had been a fool to return. The young king, a boy no longer, stood dispelled. Sorry. The young king, a boy no longer, soon dispelled his grandmaster's fear. As he slid gracefully from Vermithor's back, he smiled. It was as if the sun had broken through the clouds, reported Lord Tully. The lords bowed before him, several going to their knees. Across the city, bells began to ring in celebration. Jaehaerys pulled off his gloves and tucked them into his belt, then said, My lords, we have work to do. Get out of here. How good. I mean... The Give stage is set. The stage is set. Give me more. Once again, and the people are asking. They say, "Should I read Fire and Blood?" It's like I don't know. Do you like <laughs> awesome? Like, do you do you like medieval uh, era stories? I know. Have you ever have you ever heard a dragon descri- described as just chilling out there, slightly menacing, with smoke unfurling through his teeth? We've all heard about smoke coming out of their noses, but come on. It's very good. Like I said, some of my favorite passages so far in Fire and Blood. Jaharis, I mean, they're pulling, they're they're leaving no stone unturned into making Jaharis seem like the most powerful man in the century. Boy, he's sixteen. Oh uh, yeah, but you know his his everything's getting filled, filled out for out. him. You know, yeah, you know I'm yeah. saying. But when they describe Blackfire there, yeah, I mean, he, I know it just adds years and decades and centuries of wisdom (laughs) and lore to him you know and so we've been talking so much about all of this preparation that he's done on dragonstone to get himself ripped and right and his arrival did not disappoint not even in the slightest i know that was awesome it was good i was i was a little disappointed that alison wasn't there with him for that whole Mm -hmm. thing because i felt like it would have been even more pressure and they definitely had been setting themselves up to be full of pressure, but they continued to do the same mindfulness that got them to this point unscathed. And this chapter basically unfurls the reasons why that was the right choice. Not just that specific reason, but the vibe that would have been into choosing a different decision. Mm-hmm. You know, like they, they all the way to Rogar being brought back into the fold, like the whole thing is a... Uh, a good exercise of showing that they weren't like a uh, like a one hit wonder, basically for situations like that they are literally here to stay. Rogar being brought back into the fold, the way that they handled their marriage announcement, and the whole yeah. tour of legends being told throughout the land about how great oh, yeah, the, uh, the seven is. speakers. Yeah, I just I think that it's like you're saying so much mindfulness 
going into every decision that's being made. Obviously, at the end of the chapter, we kind of get a glimpse into some future troubles. And this chapter is called A Time of Testing. Yeah. So, obviously, it's not all roses. But it's like we've been saying the last couple of chapters. They just are trying to fix all of the wrongs that have been done leading up to this point without trying to forget them. And it's working so far. It's funny that at the very end of the chapter, there was uh, two paragraphs, one about Alison and one about Alyssa and how they're both dealing with the new regime change. And uh, George references their pasts. He references Alison's a little bit lighter. But the gist that I got out of that was that they've gone through similar bad situations with Alyssa dealing with the brunt of really, really, really being able to absorb and live through her father and then Magor's rule and to have been, I don't want to say tarnished, but having been affected by it enough to adapt to the situation as she is now. And then Alison herself adapting to it in a way that was more operable because I guess the exposure was a little bit less. And I don't know like how much of it is actually due to their spirit. Like if, you're on a scale of 1 to 100 in points that fantasy authors give you and how effective you are in different situations. Like maybe 30 to 40% is your nurture and then your nature, which I think they share mostly because their Targaryens would, let's say, like be another like 20 to 25 points. Whereas like Alison's been affected just a little bit less than Alyssa in a situation where it comes to like being able to continue to have some kind of a hope or desire for things to be more beautiful. And that's kind of how he ends the chapter with uh, 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 Alison like um, searching far and wide and looking locally for these like treasures and different clusters of beauty that artisans and other mindful people in uh, King's Landing, but also just around like any anything that she could see that she liked and to fill the red keep with it. I thought that was a really nice way to end the chapter because it's mostly focused on what Jaharis was able to do politically. There wasn't really any, there wasn't any fighting at all. It's mostly based on what he was able to do politically, but he also like throw threw in there the the experiences that they went through, uh, Alyssa and Alison, and like how it affected them, and like still how like in this patriarchy society they're still able to make an impact that isn't really measured yet, but we can kind of understand. He doesn't like come right out and tell us the thing that I just said, but I feel like he hints at part of what I was able to comprehend. I agree. I love how she, how he describes it too as she wants to make the red keep glitter or glittery again. Yeah. As it was when she was a kid. And so how important is that? Like you know how important that is or at least I think that the, as much as I know about you like I know that like you 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 understand like the extra magic that's put into stuff and like how much of a, a difference that can really impress upon every all the efforts that happen in and around that situation. It's just I thought it was really nice of George to to drop that seed in only a third of the way through the book. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's the whole thing, really, at the end of the day. And I think that, so we get some new, the new money guy, the new master of coin. It talks, we spend a bit of time talking about Ringo him. Ringo Draws. Yeah, I think he rules. Yeah, that's, that's such a badass development. Well, we spend a bit of time <laughs> talking about him and, and, he kind of comes up with some ways for them to get loans so they can get more money. And the first thing that they talk about once they had dollar bills is that the dragon pit is 
beginning again. Construction. I talked so much shit on the last episode. I know you did. Wait, that's our first priority. But I think that it goes along with what you're saying about what these women at court are trying to do Mm -hmm. is make the experience feel as powerful as it is. Because you can have all your ducks in a row with your councils, but you can be at a convention with no coffee and no Wi-Fi and not have a good time. Or like at a hotel party with no ice or no mixers. Right. Just straight (laughs) liquor. The default, the default cups that come with a hotel room. Right. So those details matter. Paint those images in your head, (laughs) (laughs) y'all. Those details matter. And so I think that I agree with you. That glitterness and that just the life that's being brought back into King's Landing. And if a dynasty is going to work out, the lore surrounding the dynasty, the the swagginess and the um what's the word I'm trying to think of? The uh I thought you nailed it with swagginess. Yeah, I mean it's you gotta feel cool when you're participating in this thing. And so I we think you gotta believe in it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think those details, I agree with you. I'm glad that we got that color added in. It seems like the dragon, he he didn't really think about that. Most of his moves, he had like half a mind toward it, but mostly it was about changing the narrative on something that was so specific to them. And also, King's Landing was a pretty strategic point to choose as far as shipping is concerned. So it was like a mixture of utility plus rebelliousness. Mm-hmm. Whereas we're now at 51, almost 51 AC, and beauty is kind of coming into the picture a little bit a little bit well they're figuring out like (laughs) it makes me think about washington dc and how this city was built because dc was also built basically at a strategic spot not necessarily because it was the prettiest place i mean it's a swamp but it was convenient and for so many years the sewer ran down the street past the white house you know it's supposed to be like the most powerful place but there's literally the sewage running down those streets and it, it's kind of the same vibe here of they've just spent a lot of time the last couple of years trying to build the place up so that when you're walking down the sidewalk, it's clean and there's a lot of cool marble everywhere instead of everybody's sewage at your feet, you know? Mm-hmm. So. When you say everybody's sewage, what do you mean exactly? I mean that when they, <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. <laughs> Literally that, but. So, uh. What do you think? Right, we're talking about a lot of good stuff. Do you have any notable weaknesses that you're sensing in this so far? I mean, we could talk about the Reina thing specifically, but just from their approach to it, maybe if they haven't even been necessarily poked out yet, is there anything you're just like, eh? I think the Reina thing is the most obvious just because it's pointed out as the most obvious thing. I think that they're covering their bases here. I think that the... They talk a lot about the taxes that seem to make sense. They're taxing, oh, yeah. they're taxing, taxing luxury goods. Finery. Yes. Instead of necessities. And people seem to be happy about that. They've got the faith under control. And finally, Jaharis and Alessand get to consummate their marriage. So that's solid. I really like the that part, paragraph if you want to read that, by the way. You want me to read it? <laughs> I just thought you might want to. <laughs> you were texting me about it at least. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I also think that 
one other thing that really stood out to me is the emphasis that Jaharis put on them not going anywhere without their dragons. Yeah. And how important it was going to be for them to show force. And so, okay, wait, my brain is scattered everywhere because there's this idea of an accept of exceptionalism. Yeah. That was highlighted a lot. That's which what I was thinking about. I think you're probably the doctrine. You're probably familiar with as a philosophy student, um, <laughs> as well as I am. But I think that this idea of exceptionalism only works if they're really rolling around with their dragons and really seeming different. And the right carpets are in the castle, too. Yeah, you know, you have to, if you're going to tell people that you're different and cooler and better, then you have to be different and cooler and better. The Sept is also going to low-key say that, too. Right. To cover up their own ass. Right. Then, yeah, you have to, you have to go around with your dragons. But it's like a dual-edged, it's like a dual-tipped spear. Because it's not only to be allowed to continue to do the things that we like to do maritally, but it's also about small ideas not popping up. And it's also about just like a little bit of leverage and negotiations as we saw with wise we're going to see, but as was hinted later with the, uh, the Starks. Right. At least in my mind. Right. I mean, when, when not to skip ahead too much, but when they, when they show up in Winterfell, they didn't show up necessarily invited. Let's just say, and Brandon's gift, the way that we were described Brandon's gift in A Song of Ice and Fire in the Queen's Crown chapter was not the same way that Brandon's gift was to them because ultimately what they were doing was taking away f- land from the Starks, 15 leagues of land away from the Starks and giving it to the Night's Watch in a way that they couldn't deny. And it mostly came down to the fact that they used rhetoric, making it more so a shared burden on... We said like this really beautiful speech and we like talked we all agree all this beautiful stuff about how important the night's watch is. Also we have dragons. And we saw like a little hint of that when he was uh when he was talking to Rogar in this chapter and Rogar was like, Hey, do you want me to give you some when Rogar was like, Do you want me to give you some young Baratheans to seal the deal and try to put a little bit more confidence in our loyalty? And he sort of wordlessly leads them to a side chamber where the ceilings are vaulted and Vermithor is feasting on a charred bull, which I think we can all relate to the imagery there. He doesn't need their kids. Maybe he could use them. He's probably going to send them willingly in a way. Well, because it's like we're saying, it's so much cooler at King's Landing. That's where the the culture is. And so you probably want your offspring to be mingling with the who's who of Westeros. But that's the the difference of it. When Rogar expected the worst, I think that we all kind of expected the worst with him to some degree. Of course. Not just because they're Targaryens, but because of the depth that he almost went to. And then sending Oris after a fellow Targaryen being basically an unforgivable crime. It seems almost doubly bad. And so the fact that he didn't go to the wall, I think, kind of elevates the concern of some bodily harm being done upon him at this point. But for Jaehaerys to turn it like that and to talk about the good things and to also maybe stretch some of the forgiveness to some degree, you know, he can do that because of the dragons, like we've been saying. But the vibe shift that happened within that, it's not just Alyssa who benefited from that. It's 
just it's an extreme version of everyone benefiting from benefiting from that. I forget the quote, but it was to the degree of when your enemies are knocked down. I think this is a Tywin Lannisterism, but when your enemies are knocked down, you pick them back up. Mm-hmm. You don't keep them knocked down because when you pick your enemies back up, and I think that's where the the Tywinism stops, but we can all kind of fill in the gaps there. When you pick them back up, they're basically yours. And if you're not a bad guy like Jaharis, if you're not a bad guy, then maybe that amount of control isn't necessarily a bad thing. The whole freedom debate, what were you going to say? It's just like a Peter Pettigrew type of scenario. Almost. What do you mean? Where you got somebody who was not on your side now in your pocket. Who owes you. I mean, yeah, Rogar owes Jaharis yeah. big time now. And so, (laughs) I just think that that's so much. So even the Dark Lord was like, you know what? I could use you. (laughs) I just think that that's, it's much more difficult to put your ego aside for a moment to play the the, long game than it is to. Voldy thing, just keep going. I just think it would be much easier to spew your wrath in the moment than it would be to like set aside your ego to play the long game but I think this is smarter in the long game because it keeps everybody under his thumb because he owes him now he didn't have to go to the wall and he gets to keep his kids someone with as shaky of an ego as Voldy thing would have definitely killed Wormtail if he would have been able to but Wormtail made that grander gesture because he had nowhere else to go by hunting down his sort of like soul bound horcrux spirit weird metaphysical state and helping pump him back into a human body. So at that point, he kind of like definitely owed him, owed him. But then Pettigrew owes Harry. Yeah. That's what I was saying. Oh. Is that... Anyway. I mean, but did Harry know that though? Did Harry know he was giving Harry, like Pettigrew another chance basically? I mean, we knew it. For, as, for himself? We knew it as a reader. We knew it as the reader. Yeah, see, that's the thing about Harry. Yeah, <laughs> I know. On the Harry Potter <laughs> yeah. podcast, Harry didn't even know. Yeah. Like, Jaharis knows. That's True. interesting. J- Jaharis knows. Jaharis is smart, and he's much more calculated. All I, all I was trying to say is that I agree with you and that whole sentiment of yeah. keeping your enemies in your pocket. I mean, we saw with—it just didn't work out with Magor, just trying to squash everyone around you. And so now now his mom's happy, and her mom, his mom has her man back, and yeah. they— now he has somebody who's close to him who can say nothing but good things. And who will somebody say who but good he's not allowed to say anything but good things. <laughs> yeah. He has another perspective. It's the new rule. You know? So Yeah. I thought also when you're given that much grace, it's kinda of hard to be mad at the thing that gives you that much grace. Exactly. I thought it was so interesting how he he says Words are wind, Jaharaswan, your lordship, my dear friend, spoke of spoke of treason, but committed none. You wished to undo my marriage, but you could not do so. You suggested placing Princess Arya upon the Iron Throne in my place, but here I sit. Dot, 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 dot. Um, treasonous actions deserve punishment. Foolish words are another matter. So I just thought that was an interesting way that he framed. He was like, you can run your mouth all you want, but you weren't able to overpower my vibe and so you didn't really commit treason i thought that was just 
I don't know, last episode for good reason. We're just like dogging on Rogar because he sucks. And here's Jaharis extending him, like just manipulating the situation. A better man than I. Yeah. A million for percent. For sure. Yeah. Like, by the way, I've recognized all the things that you saw, but I'm in the position not to be a spectator. I'm going, this affected me not. Right. I care not. So come back into my charge, basically, and continue to work for me rather than stewing and, you know, being a potential vector for things to go awry with later. Right. I wish more people were like that. Well, you think about, like, somebody like Jon Snow at the Wall. That may have helped fix some of his problems. That's true. But also, it's kind of part of the reason why he lasted that long. Yeah. You know, getting those first lessons about at least his friends that he weren't friends, that he was not friends with at first. Right. Because he could have he could have lashed out on them. And there was Tyrion there to help him in a moment like that. Like, he needed that wisdom to sort of see it from another perspective. Right. Well, we'll see with Jaehaerys with his sister giving her Dragonstone and letting um, Arya go back and live with her. I mean, I yeah. think that we're... We may regret how like much we're building Jaharis up in this moment. Is all I'm saying. That's the thing. I think that he, f- for the length of his reign, I think the most of the problems, like like the worst thing that he basically does so far, is this with Reyna and Dragonstone and the the matters of succession being wide open. Because at this point, Arya is the, or however you say the name, is um technically the next person in line and so a lot of the stuff that we're going to see in house of the dragons basically based off of this this moment basically which of course george just sweetly sticks in there in a moment of like glory and triumph it's still a time of trouble and you know we go through this chapter and the two problems are it says two loomed larger than all the rest the treasury was empty and the crown uh, and the crown's debt was mounting and his secret marriage, which grew less secret with every passing day, sat like a jar of wildfire on the hearth waiting to explode. Both questions needed to be dealt with and quickly. Like you said, they announced their their marriage or they announced their relationship. He, re- he announced their relationship during a toast, like the first real toast back. And uh, eventually when matters of taxation and renaming figures that would be instrumental in leading the kingdom and also just completely gutting the staff, which I thought was great, completely down to who was in the cells the and the master of keys. <laughs> he gets to all the prisoners. Back, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. It wouldn't be, it'd be like a lucky situation to get into if you got in trouble. And it's kind of like when a uh, Port Royal gets attacked in Pirates of the Caribbean. You're like, wait a second, sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's no order in any of this at all. Those people are basically dead. I mean, it is that's the crazy thing about being put into a cage at all because it's like, wait, it's just someone's decision. Like, I don't have to be here, and they just like have the manpower, the infantry, the guns to hold this all down. And that's fire and blood in a nutshell, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Great, <laughs> it's all just one land that we're on, and it doesn't really matter how this goes. Yeah, that's basically it. And so that's why when He's when uh, Jairus arrives in King's Landing. One of the first thing he does is get, is get rid of Matthias. Which, for God's sakes, the guy who said he was going to be on our side ends up trying to go this rogue. I know because he gets mad. Jeez. I'm obsessed with. I'm trying to find the the paragraph about when he leaves because the juxtaposition between him leaving and the new guy coming in is so funny. Oh, it's great. I'm pasting it to you right now. <laughs> okay, I'm going to read it. 
Is it Matthias or Matthias? Matthias. Great question. Matthias departed four days later for Old Town after he gets released. Too corpulent to sit on a horse, he traveled in a gilded wheelhouse attended by six guardsmen and a dozen servants. Legend tells us that whilst crossing the Mander at Bitterbridge, he passed Septon Barth coming in the other way. Barth was alone riding on a donkey. I mean, if you talk about... I think that when people talk about corruption or like... I think this is like a common motif or theme when you're talking about like a corrupt government, you know? Is that these people who are way too large, not necessarily in physical size, but just like an ego. Fiction, why not? Yeah, exactly. So it's just, it's like a very um, cartoonish way to describe kind of out with the old and in with the new, that the Mm -hmm. new guy is so chill and so... Uh, I don't know. All humble. The, humble, yeah. Completely the opposite. He's humble. He's his own guy. He's alone. He's riding on a donkey. He's so much more in tune with the true things of the faith, whereas the guy who's leaving is uh, has an ego and a staff that is much too large for his position and so you mentioned so you, had, you did not mention his body being too large for a horse yeah <laughs> so he's just like also, in every way wheelhouse in every way i just thought that was such an amazing juxtaposition yeah not a lot of thought toward what was really happening it seemed like he mostly thought about what he was able to get in the current moment which didn't go that well for him meanwhile septon barth's gonna rise to Basically the second highest seat of power in the land. And he's also riding a donkey, which everyone knows donkeys are smarter than horses. It's just like a cooler thing to be riding. It's like, oh, you got a sure-footed little beast. It's like hard hard to get. That's cool. You also, if I mean, if you're going to look into like Christian symbolism, which may or not have been on George's mind. <laughs> Please tell me more. Well, just riding a donkey is signifying much more humility. Right. And do you know why? Um, because that's what, like, Mary rode when she was pregnant with Jesus. And he also rides a donkey in to some towns that I can't remember off the top of my head. But there's multiple times when he's, instead of arriving on chariots or with large swaths of people, he's humbly as described in the Bible, like riding a donkey like his mother was as well. Like it's a very humble thing to do in Christianity. It's funny. We were just saying it was such a great decision for Alison to give mindfulness to the glitter of the Red Keep in the capital. Meanwhile, we're describing that humility has this like long-term success attached to it. Well, I think there has to be both. I think that like you have to give people the vibe that they want to have. But you have to be able to not try to get it all for yourself. Like, I don't think that Alisan is doing that for herself necessarily. That's her her labor of love and her way to give back. Man, I feel like we could just end the podcast right there. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's nice. I just think that... Yeah, I, go on. I just think that... 
I'm just buying into the whole thing. And so I'm really looking forward to some of the conflict that's coming because as chapters go on and on and on, I'm just really on the Jaharis train, which is annoying to me because everybody's on the Jaharis train. So I want to be hashtag different. But it's really hard when you're reading these chapters to not feel like he's the coolest guy ever and he's just like setting everything up perfectly. And I think that we talk a lot on the podcast about history being so biased but uh, you know you can't help it this chapter is so fun he's just setting the stage here's a quandary every student of history must face when looking back upon the things that happened in years past we can say this and this and this were the causes of what occurred when looking back on things that did not happen however we have only or sorry yes however we have only surmise we know the realm did not rise up against king jaharis and queen alisan in 51 ac as it had against aegon and reyna 10 years earlier this is um because of their relationship this is why it is a good deal less certain the high septon's silence spoke loudly no doubt and the lords and common folk alike were weary of war but if words have power, wind or no, surely the seven speakers played a part as well. Everyone is wondering what would happen if I didn't win. <laughs> I guess we'll never know. It's basically what that was. And if he didn't have that stage to say that line, then it would have been rounded out with such a flourish. So it's like, th- that's what these seven speakers are doing. They're basically adding that last flourish. It's like there was an empty silence and then they were smart enough to not get too crazy with it, but to also send out people that could actually hold a conversation and bring up new information. And when someone that was smart from the place that they went to asked them a question, they could answer it. They were, they were learning in, in a multitude of things in a way that made them be taken seriously Mm -hmm. so that on top of feeling still feeling the suffering and the after effects of magor's cruelty and of just in general knowing that rebellions are like the worst way to waste money because ultimately what you're doing jaharis talks about that in this chapter ultimately what you're doing is spending a lot of money and lives and opening up a lot of possibilities for wiggliness to wiggle its way into a better point that can wiggle you even harder later if you do win You're doing all that all just so you can get back to a stasis to where you were before the rebellion happened. And it's going to be worse because of all that money being spent and because of all that wiggliness, not to mention all the people that died. And all the trust that you lose. I guess it's the same as wiggliness, but... Yeah. Well, I'm trying to just uh, not have to think as hard. So that word is hopefully evocative enough. It is. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. (laughs) I liked um, how they described the seven going, the seven, hilariously perfect. It says, the seven, seven went forth at his command, three men and four women. In place of swords and axes, they were armed only with their wits, their courage, and their tongues. But what did you think about the doctrine of exceptionalism? One God made us all, Andals and Valerians, and first men, Septon Alphen, would proclaim from his litter. But he did not make us all alike. He made the lion and the oryx as well, both noble beasts, but certain gifts he gave to one and not to the other. And the lion cannot live as an oryx, nor an oryx as a lion. For you to bed your sister would be a grievous sin, sir. But you are not the blood of the dragon, no more than I am. 
What they do is what they have always done, and it is not for us to judge them. So dragons aside, to make people go, okay, and just buy it, what is this? I mean, I mean, I guess it's a good Band-Aid for now. It's a good Band-Aid for now. It's a classic, I guess, from our perspective. I mean, it's just like a classic. People have used exceptionalism throughout all of history. And I use it in my own life to describe myself. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like such a common theme in, in American history, in religious history. And I think it's interesting, you know, he talks about how the Targaryens were different and their roots are from somewhere else and they have different traditions and their hair and their eyes and all of that is different. And they're so, I think that... command dragons for one. Exactly. And I think that that's a major like propaganda campaign that they were able to pull off that I think that they've been trying to pull off since day one, right. 50 that's years ago. That's what I'm ago. saying. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just like them putting a name like in Jaharis it. like to me. It seems so unlike Jaharis to me. It's calculated. It's so calculated, but it's like, it's so much more see-through than a lot of other things. Like taking Rogar back, but also not really punishing him is a lot more middling. Whereas this is definitely weighted toward not just their situation, but like his family down the line too. It's right. a way more personal thing than he's than they've done so far. Sure. Seen. It's like, let me take care of my family instead of the quote yeah. unquote, the realm. Just our family. And they don't really stop at them being, because if you can look into the exceptions about uh, the Andals coming over and the, the actual genesis of the faith of the seven, and you can kind of make sense out of that. But once you start making it about them looking different and being different and having the command of powerful things, then it's kind of like, a bit of a supremacy thing, which I For just feel sure. it's it, that being from a different place though makes a lot of sense. It's like, okay, they have different customs. You can't appropriate them into the way that you want to be guys. That seems a lot more believable to me, but I guess, I guess at the time they needed to make it about some kind of supremacy or some kind of mysticism. I think so. But you don't hear about that really at all. Like in, in like uh, the current, asshole off that's already sort of an old idea like everyone knows like oh, he, he eats and shits and you know that's all the same we're all the same right well you think about i mean i think that except dwarves i think that george r, r. martin in a song of ice and fire is trying to write more contemporarily anyway and so if we're supposed to see fire and blood as a history textbook exceptionalism right. is everywhere in history and so it's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like back in the day, they believed in wild things like eye color mattering, mm-hmm. which I think with our modern eye, or LOL, like our modern read on it is supposed to be antiquated. I mean, some eyes are sexier, though. Oh, for sure. You could definitely have preferences. Some people's hair is better than others. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but that has nothing to do with like the kind of power they can wield technically. I mean, right. I don't know. We could have a whole conversation. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. We could have a whole conversation about, you know, how this is still prevalent in modern society. But that's not the point, I think, of, of this whole thing. But my point was that it seems like a stretch for them. That's a little bit uncharacteristic. That, like you said, just kind of slipped in at the right time. Well, he mentions that. I'm he, just looking for weaknesses. Well, he mentions that he's not going to leave anything up to chance. Okay. And that he's going to cover. It says for, um, let's see. 
He and his queen, a couple of paragraph sources, he and his queen meant to see the land they ruled, to learn its needs, et cetera, et cetera. But wherever they went, it would be with their dragons. For all these reasons, Jaehaerys believed that the realm would accept his marriage, but he was not a man to trust in chance. And so that's why he sent these guys out. And so I think that he's just trying to scramble to cover his bases and do this, you know, propaganda campaign of my girl's the best ever. She's sweet and gentle and nice. And now let's turn these stories into legends and have Queen Eleanor herself say them. And everybody is really witty and exciting and we have dragons and we look cool and I agree with you, but I think that this is Jaehaerys just trying to do literally everything possible. And it worked really, it worked probably better than anything else because especially when you, well, I don't know, like you think about the reason why he did this. They tried to do the same exact thing, which they went to all the castles and they tried to hold court and talk to everybody and da 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 da. They had no dragons and then they got stuck because they just didn't go take it all the all the way to the extremism. And so also the the Faith Melton had a lot better numbers at that point because they hadn't been through a bunch of battles. Totally. There's like a million things against them. But I agree with at you. At this point, all the strongest members of the Faith Faith Melton are at the wall. And uh anybody else who's willing to play around with them that has power, they're probably being visited by Reyna at some point and they're getting more ideas about the future. They're doing basically what we've been saying. Or they're Just getting like annoyed thinking, by her, yeah. Thinking forward more. Being annoyed or not, they're like, they're scheming. Yeah, sure. She says, they're all warm at first, but it does not last. Either I am unwelcome or too welcome. Classic. They murmur <laughs> of the cost of keeping me in mind, but it is Dreamfire who excites them. Some fear her. More won her, and it is those who trouble me most. They lust for dragons at their own. They lust for dragons of their own. That I will not give them. But where I am, but where am I to go? The ancestral seat. That possesses mysteries I know not of. We only get a glimpse of the drama to come. I feel like the drama with her has been just brewing and bubbling and stewing in the back. And, and when now it's she, on jaw. And now it's on jaw. <laughs> And when it's when it goes, they're having this conversation. It's like, well, how's this going to go? And she goes, I want Dragonstone. And Jaehaerys literally has no, he has nothing to say. He just he has nothing to say, which I think is awesome. And because that's a big deal. I mean, especially he's like fresh, just freshly off Dragonstone. He's like, I just had I the know. nicest time of my life there. Yeah. And you want want it? He gave it to her pretty quickly. He left his room like it was, just in case. Exactly. Arena, I want my daughter restored to me. Done, the king said, mayhaps too hastily, for it must be remembered that she, a girl of eight, was his own acknowledged successor, heir apparent to the Iron Throne. The consequences of this decision would not be known for years to come, however. For a month, it was done, and the queen in the west, at a stroke, became the queen in the east. He didn't give her like when when you think about everything that happened with Rogar. I mean, he kind of let her off pretty easily, and I know she wasn't necessarily doing anything bad, but he gave her a lot. Like, I understand why she wouldn't want to return to court. I understand why she wants her own space. But all he says, he says, "I will grant you Dragonstone as your seat." He told her, "For there is no place more fitting for the blood of the dragon, but you shall not hold the island 
oh, sorry, you shall hold the island and the castle by my gift, not by right. Says who? You know? Our grandsire made the seven kingdoms. Da, 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 da. I think you're getting to it right there. Because at one point that she starts to do things that he doesn't like, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to kick you out. And then it's like, well, how are you going to kick me out? Yeah, exactly. It seems so... Yeah. You're going to have to kick me out because no one else can stop me. Right. Now you're in danger, et cetera. And that's just them. That's not even the succession yet. Right. The thing is, it's like you were saying in the last episode, you know, like the, the family drama, you know, is is real drama. I, I often think that like when when situations are as real as this, that that bond goes all the way. But when you're at this point and you have we gonna tell we at the top of the totem pole, yeah. then that's like that is the normal day to day stuff that everyone deals with. It's, it's easier with Alyssa because she doesn't have a dragon. I know, and he, she. I thought that was conversation. I would have loved to be a fly on the wall for that convo because all we know is she came out just crying. But it's her kid. Is this what's different? But. It's just yeah, curious to easier. me, kind of, I, I didn't even think about this when I was reading the chapter, but as we've been having this conversation, he just kind of let her off really easily. And so. For sure. And Rogar too. Let them both off. But yeah, like, but Rogar, he like, he has Rogar wrapped around his finger, where not in the way that Reyna is, because Reyna's just been doing her own thing. Right. No, Reyna's not wrapped around his finger Reyna at all. owes he, He's just trying to be nothing. respectful. Yeah. She, and that's the problem. Yeah. That's, maybe that's another mistake of his, though. I mean, we talked about it before, but like. Less about giving her a Dragonstone, more about just not fearing her. Or she fearing him, yeah. I don't, yeah, she doesn't fear him at all. The next chapter, I know we're kind of skimming up, but the next chapter is, chapter is called Birth, Death, and Betrayal under King Jaehaerys the First. What? I thought it was testing. We went right from testing to this. To betrayal. The three worst things. Yeah. What's worse? Birth, death, or betrayal? <laughs> birth. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, anyway the train was on we're having such a good time and we're getting really close to like the actual house of the dragon content which is even more exciting we're gonna be house of the dragon experts come august so get a hot d tattoos we're getting hot d tattoos it's time for everyone to start jumping back on the game of owns train because the show is coming back. So, <laughs> like George said, the train's opening back up, but we're going to Lamy. Yeah. Come get your dinner yeah. theater. We got to do that. So, dude, we have to. We have to go. But not until we go to Ice and Fire Con again, April 21st to 24th. It's coming up so fast. Wait, we haven't done owns Skip yet. Bad. Okay. Owns of the episode. Tell you what, I took four owns down, and I know that's not right to do four. Hannah read my first one around the start of the chapter. And uh, I won't read that one again, okay? So we're going to keep on skipping down. Just want to give a shout-out to Lyman Lannister for basically being equated to Trump in this chapter. Mm -hmm. Jaehaerys was like, yeah, he can find a mountain of gold, or he has money, but like, unless he can find a mountain of gold in the Red Keep, I don't know if he has the answer we need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> LOL. Either way, like, no matter what side you're on, that's just funny. I already read all my owns too. I guess the only thing I would mention, I mean, the first couple of paragraphs of this chapter, obviously loved that. Thought that was so awesome. I also really liked Rego Draz, the new ma master of coin. What an outside the box pick. It's like you said, he dunked on Lannister and he brings this guy who started from the bottom, rags to riches, 
created his own wealth. So creative. We love to see it. He's like outside and they of the him out of the council and pentos too. Yeah. So he's seen some stuff and he's yeah. he knows how to make money. He wasn't just born with it. I think that's such an interesting, cool choice. And so I thought that was fun. I liked that. Is that a quote or is that your own? That's or is my it own. Just the vibe. Shout the situation out. shout out. I already, we, my quote own is what I, like 19 paragraphs I read earlier. So. Sure. That's a pretty good quota. I think he said something about if I could tax the air, I'd be a rich man indeed. Right, right. <laughs> uh, here, here's an own. In response to the doctrine of exceptionalism, someone from the crowd's like, I, and if I want to fuck my sister too, do I have your leave? The Septon smiled and replied, go to Dragonstone and claim a dragon. If you can do that, sir, I will marry you and your sister myself. <laughs> Such a good dunk. All right, what was that third on? Words are when he told his counsel, but when can fan a fire? My father and my uncle fought words with steel and flame. We shall fight words with words and put out the fires before they start. And the Septons at Old Town didn't say a word about this marriage. I think I have to be real here and just give my own to Jaharis and Ali Saan, game well played. They have plenty of time to be. They use their time wisely and in their favor to keep everybody quiet. So I think most of the haters, though, are gone. Even the ones in Old Town. What was it saying? The new guy, he's like, I don't want to meddle with anybody's business. I don't want to. We like we've seen that the Targaryens are powerful, so they have dragons. I can't mess with them. No, Hylex Biddle knows who's his boss is. Yeah. He's in the right place. Yeah. So here's an own from Travis Cole. Feel free to add your owns to the conversation. We can read them on in the next episode. No problem. There's a handful of them from this chapter. Don't be shy. Travis Cole writes, My own goes to Vermithor for allowing King Jaehaerys not needing... I have bad eyes. My own goes to Vermithor for allowing King Jaehaerys not needing to take any hostages from Rogar Baratheon with just the simple threat of this magnificent beast and the words unspoken but known. Every man and maid and child in the Stormlands is my hostage while I ride him. Heck yeah. That was own two that I didn't read. I'm glad I didn't. Thanks, Travis. And uh, thanks to anyone that has ever written owns in the past. I started to think today about the music I'm going to have to pick to put uh, uh, in the background of all the owns for Hot D. Yeah. Uh, please send your suggestions if you'd like. Try not to get sued. So keep that in mind. Down to two, but it's just my voice. Right. I think that that might actually work. It's technically on YouTube. If you want to send in your owns, thoughts, feelings, etc., you can find us on Twitter, on Instagram, by searching for Game of Owns, or you can send us an email to contact at gameofowns.com. You can also follow along if you go to gameofowns.com. You can see all the episodes we've done in the past, obviously, and all the episodes we will do in the future. Not really. But if you missed anything, if you're trying to get caught up on Fire and Blood, you can check out gameofowns.com. Yeah, on the... Um Right side is a little drop-down navigation bar, and we actually have all of our episodes sorted by the books, the TV seasons. How funny they are, how boring they are. We the, I've we need that, but no. No. <laughs> <laughs> we, we do have uh, one with some guests, but not all the guest episodes, just like highlights. Right. Uh, there used to be only like five guest episodes, and then now, like, what the hell, man? 
we got two TV shows and all these new extra books, George. We're try- I can't quit you. <laughs> Our next chapter. <laughs> Our next chapter is Birth, Death, and Betrayal Under King Jaehaerys 1. Chapter 9, Fire and Blood. Pack white winter clothes for Ice and Firecon, April 21st to 24th. Read Birth, Death, and Betrayal under King J. Harris I. And we will see you very soon. Bye.